The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Here we go. Today is the day. Today is what everyone's been waiting for. I want to talk about the mark of the beast. So here it is. Buckle up, all right? We're going to be in Revelations chapter 13. We're going to be verses 1 through 10. If you've got one of the Bibles that's scattered throughout the house today, we're going to be on page 1048. And here we go. Revelation chapter 13. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feel of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword." This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Yeah. Halloween weekend, perfect weekend for the Mark of the Beast. Awesome. Last week, if you weren't here, just a real quick recap, because it will only make this week will only make sense if we have a quick recap of last week. We saw that there was this nativity scene where the beast was coming, this dragon was coming to kill the baby Jesus uh, there. And there's actually Christmas ornaments with a baby and a red dragon. You can Google it. I found them this week. They're awesome. Uh, And it says that uh, what what happens here now is that the, the dragon knows that he cannot Hurt God, cannot, cannot get, go attack God. He's been bounced. We said last week, bounced out of heaven. Uh, can't do that. And, and so he, uh, he says, he's, it tells us at the end of chapter 12, the dragon was angry and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keeps God's commands faithful to Jesus. And I, you know, you guys, if you come after me to attack me, some of you could probably hurt me easily. Let me look at me. That, that wouldn't, wouldn't take much. You could hurt me, and that might be a problem. Um, but if you can't hurt me, you know how you can hurt me? My kids. And my kids right now are old enough, they could actually hurt me. They could take care of themselves. You know, they're adults now. But I got a little granddaughter here at Crosspoint. This is Faith up here. Um, yeah. And I'm telling you right now, you go after her to hurt her, hurt her. That's going to hurt me far worse than you just coming after me 
to hurt me. And so he's, he knows how to get after God and break the heart of God, coming after God's people. And it says there that he goes to war. Are you, do you guys feel hot in here at all? Nobody does? Okay. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Here we go, yeah. <laughs> just making sure that it's not getting too stale in here with the, 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 the fans are going and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, he goes to war, and you'll see the title on the, the program. The back of your program, there's a note sheet there you can use to take a few notes today if you want. You'll see today that our note sheet's a little longer just because there's a lot more content to cover, so it goes on the inside as well. It's the Phantom Menace. It's the empire, the evil empire beast. Number one says, comes out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns. You can see in chapter 12, verse 3, and in chapter 17, this beast is seen over and over again. And it gives us, rather than just telling us that these beasts and talking about the countries these beasts represent, like a news reporter would do, it does it more like a play or a movie or a great ballad kind of song. It does it with imagery because it moves our hearts and emotions more than just a news thing. It's a little bit like, I heard, watch, listen to this guy talking about this week, like political cartoons. Where he says, you know, picture speaks a thousand words. Put this first one up. This is back at the time when Hong Kong was going to revert back to China. Everybody's worried, what's the dragon China going to do? To crush it. The next one here shows us a, a picture of, of the Soviet Union and America, personified by the dragon, the eagle. And this next one here is the uneasy alliance. This is a recent one. The bear, which is Russia. The, the dragon now, which is China, kind of coming together. And it tells you something with those, ima- that, with those images that goes beyond just saying, well, Russia and China have an alliance. It, it does more to tell us about that. It says that this, uh, this particular beast out of the sea hates God, hates Jesus. It says and it's, it's, it's got leopard and lion and bear-like features. And for those of us growing up in 21st century America who have not been raised going to church or who haven't read the New Old Testament in a very long time, uh, it's on your notes. You can look at it, Daniel chapter 7. There's a being there where it talks about, we're not going to look at it today, but look at it yourself, leopard, lion, bear kind of features that all represent world empires, not countries, empires that see themselves as amazing, the pinnacle of it all. And these are explained to us in Daniel. This would be Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, first century Rome is one of the, be- one of the beasts we're seeing here, probably personified here. And what you'll see in the Bible frequently in both prophetic writings in the Old Testament, and you'll even see it here in Revelation, they're going to talk about the idea as Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. And everybody thinks, well, that means that uh, Persia... Iraq and Iran are going to come back and they're going to be a massive world empire again. And that might be true. I don't think so. I think what, what they're doing is they're saying is Babylon is the prototype, the icon, the symbol of all the evil empires of the world. And when you want to talk about like what's the next Babylon, in the first century, what the modern day, what the Babylon was for them there? Rome. You, you'll see it. in Revelation 17 talks about seven hills, the seven hills of Rome, all that. That, that, that was Babylon for them. And when you read prophecy kind of stuff in the Bible, just a a useful way for you to approach it. 
because sometimes we'll read things and we'll think, well, okay, that was fulfilled back then. In fact, some people believe Revelation's all about what happened in the first 100 years of the church when if you look at other places in the Bible, like in the book of Isaiah, there's a famous prophecy there. It says, uh, hey, the Lord's gonna give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, the young lady virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we see that now ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But you know, that was fulfilled in Isaiah's lifetime. He says, because I went into my wife and she was, we were good before we got married, virgin, conceived the child and gave birth to a son. So there's partial fulfillment And then there's other fulfillments that keep being fulfilled, usually reaching a place of epic or ultimate fulfillment when it comes to how we see prophecy. And this beast seems invincible, unstoppable. If you look at chapter 13, verse 5, it says the beast is allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. This does not mean he's just cussing God out. Again, this is apocalyptic literature. He is standing for this beast, everything opposed to who God is and what God's all about. And it says... And he was given authority to do whatever he wants. You write this down here if you want to know what's, what's, what this beast number one is. It's government political power outside of God's authority. It's government and political power outside of God's authority. And empires, not countries, empires that get really big and massive start to think, we're in charge. And we're the best. And no one, again, unstoppable, invincible, and we will crush you if you cross us. Power no longer exercised under God will always seek to be God or to play God. Always. And and whenever governments start to see themselves as ultimate, they start to see themselves as like divine. And in the first century, we know this not from anything revealed to us in the Bible, just by studying history. Domitian, Nero was the emperor. He wiped out, went away. There was even some theory that he was maybe going to be the second beast we're going to talk about because he died and then maybe he was going to come back to life again. We'll see that he had a fatal head, wound to the head and comes back to life and all that. Um, but Domitian decided that he wanted to be considered divine. And so you'll see it all over coins and inscriptions and statues. The third, the Domitian, Dominus, a Deus, Dominus, Lord, a Deus, God, Lord and God, Lord. And that's how he proclaimed himself to be Lord and God. And so the people in the first century reading this would have gone, oh, we, we know what this is. This is happening right now. We have this beast in full view, uh, the Roman Empire and in particular the Roman emperor. Whatever, what happens when uh, government or political power goes outside God's authority is they imagine that was divine and they actually become demonic. Uh, beautiful becomes bizarre. And again, what John is doing here is saying, look, that beautiful empire you think is so powerful and so amazing what they are, they're a beast. And they're kind of like this gargantuan monstrosity, like seven heads, 10. Like, what is that all about? What's all that going on? And they feel, empires feel impossible to stop. Now, we are part of a world empire now, and we kind of like that, right? We are the United States of America. We dare you to cross us. Uh, and, And they feel impossible to stop. And just when you think you've got them, it says here that the 
the one in verse three that one of the heads seemed wounded beyond recovery, but it it came back to life again. You can see it in speeches of totalitarian regimes, where you'll see things that says we are the last great hope. We need to rise up. We need to rise up from the ashes and take our rightful place in history and pound the podium. And then the the prophetic guys in the band, the Eagles, talked about this. I'm not sure Hotel California is about the evil empire of the beast, but remember the line in there? You stab it with the steely knives, but you just can't kill the beast. And you can, how overwhelming this beast is, you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. This beast seems unbelievable. Now again, just so you're going, are they Christians? They were writing about Revelation. I'm not sure they were. But I just worked for today. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and even when you think you've got them, even when you think, okay, we finally have taken care of evil. We finally have crushed something here. It finds a way to come back. And it says here that this beast here is going to mimic the resurrection of Jesus. That as Jesus died, fatal wound, and then rose again, this beast is doing this over and over again. In fact, Jesus on the cross, it says he delivered a mortal wound to Satan and to evil. Does it feel like Satan's dead? We've been talking about this, right? Things are not as they seem. That's why we're getting this pull back the curtain on, 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 in Revelation. And uh, he's defeated and he's not destroyed. And you go, how, how in the world is this happening in the world? Because he keeps reemerging. You think you can kill him and you can't do him. Shoot, in our, well, not in our lifetime, but some of my friends, I met some people here. So it'll be in your lifetime. And we've heard about this in modern history in the last 80 years. We thought we got rid of the evil beast with when Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany was wiped out. You know what emerged later? Joseph Stalin and communism. Shoot, even in our lifetime, remember when Ronald Reagan, tear down that wall, Mr. And we thought, okay, we have crushed this evil empire out there of Russia, and they just keep coming back. And the real danger for us here in the United States of America is if you can't poke your head up a little bit and see that there's a lot of this beast right here in the U.S. of A., then, then we're in real trouble. If we somehow think that's just across the pond over there, that's just those evil people over there in Russia or China or Iran, Iraq, and all that, and don't see... I mean, read Revelation. It's coming up in a few weeks, 17 and 18. And when you read it, you're thinking, if you didn't know better, you think they're talking about the United States in terms of the economic power they have and how beautiful and powerful and overwhelming uh, this empire can be. It says that this beast was uh, wages war against God. He, that this beast will start to become demonic and beastly. And it says, though, it's allowed or given authority. It, it, it imagines that it has inherent authority, that it's just like, I am strong, I'm in charge, I can do whatever I want. And God's going, I'm granting you authority right now, which is tricky for us to dis- I don't understand why all the time, but in Romans, it's going to tell us that there's no authority in this world that, 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 that exists unless it's been either caused by God or allowed by God to exist. There's no government's out there on its own, autonomous, just doing whatever it wants. It's been allowed, it's given, which means that from time to time, God allows 
even grants authority to evil governments and evil people. Keep that in mind for the election coming up. You'll breathe a little bit better. You will sleep a little bit better at night. Uh, Beast number two, there's another beast that comes in here. We didn't read that one. We're going to read that one right now. Uh, Look at verse 11. Beast number two, verse 11 of chapter 13 says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth, not out of the sea, out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb. Oh, a little lamb. Where have we seen a little lamb before? Remember? Who's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. He's going to look almost exactly like Jesus. But he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles. Mark that in your Bible. Even making fire flash down from heaven. And everybody in the first century reading this would remember times back in their prophetic times where people like Moses and Elijah fell down fire from heaven. He's going to seem very, very real. Uh, Verse 14, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who, mark this, belonged to this world. He ordered all the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must Die. Beast number two seems so good because it, it looks good. It's, it's got, it looks like a lamb. It seems just like Jesus on the, uh, on the outside. But it speaks. And when it speaks, it may even sound like a lamb. But you know what that voice inside of it is? It's the dragon. It's evil. Uh, it's, and this beast is powerful. Not because it's powerful because it's like so dominating and going to crush you and wipe you out. It's powerful because it just... It feels so right. And it feels like, yeah, that, that's, like, that's in the Bible. Like, l- let me give you some examples. And if I step on your toes today, I'm intending to. <laughs> Lions, not sheep. Love is love. It's your life. Do what's your life. Your truth is your truth. The exclusive, oh, here's the one. Man, all, we're all good people. All the roads that are out there, we're all just on this big pathway and all the roads eventually all end up to God. And the idea of the exclusivity to Christ is Jesus being the only way of, of the idea of, of heaven and hell, the Bible's view on money and sexuality. Our culture, the beast that's out there is saying, come on, man. Come on, how can you say that? These are good, wonderful, beautiful, amazing people here. They're sincere. Who are you to judge them and tell them? And so you'll start to feel like you're the evil one by saying, no, no, there's some things out there that are right and that are wrong. The, these beings, this, this, this beast this is, has amazing supernatural power, can call down fire from heaven, can give life to stuff that doesn't really have life. Write it down this way. Beast number two is dragon, satanic, if you want to put that word there, dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions. And, and not, 
I feel led to say this right now because some of you are thinking, oh yeah, that's the Muslims across the place that are beheading people. Uh Uh-uh. This is, hmm, it feels so good and feels so right. In chapter 16 and 19 verse, and and chapter 20, this, this beast number two is also given another name in our scriptures there. It's called the false prophet or the anti-Christ, imitation of Christ. Jesus warns us against this beast In Matthew chapter uh, 7, he says, watch out, watch out. There are prophets, not politicians, prophets and pastors going to come to you and they're going to seem like harmless sheep, but inwardly they are vicious wolves. He said, watch out, I've told you ahead of time. Don't get sucked in because they make you feel good. And because they can do amazing stuff, all that kind of thing, just be very, very careful. Uh, They're trying to get, both of these beasts, trying to get our allegiance to anyone or anything but the one true God. You'll see over and over again, this beast say, oh, you can believe what you want, do what you want, whatever. It's kind of weird, hates Jesus though. Because Jesus is king and Jesus, I'm the only way to get back to God. And I'll let you follow all kinds, look at me. I'll let you file all kinds of good, beautiful stuff that'll make you have a great family and great finances and things will go great in your life. It'll deliver you and set you free from all kinds of stuff that get, that's tripped you up here. And as long as you don't believe in Jesus, this beast is totally fine with you believing whatever you want and giving you whatever you want. As long as you don't come to terms with your sin and your need for a savior in the person of Jesus Christ. In AD 96, uh, cities throughout the empire were competing for rights to build temples to Caesar. The seven churches we saw at the beginning here, Abena Revelation, that you can say this in Roman history. They're, they're bidding for the rights to put a Caesar franchise here, to build a temple because then Rome, then money would flow and, and, the, and the army would flow there. They're competing rights to work, not, not city hall places, temples to worship Caesar as Lord and God, today we're seeing this with churches in the West, because it doesn't do any good to talk about churches 2,000 years ago, what they were doing back then. Where are we seeing this beast here in my life? I'm seeing it probably happen one, probably three or four times. Gosh, even the last couple of years, I've seen churches here in the West where the mission has shifted, and we'll talk all about Jesus, but the... But the mission is, let's get Jesus to back the beast. Let's get Jesus to get our beast elected. Our, oh, here, our beast? Our beast is the best beast. Our beast is the great, we, let's, our beast is the great. So we are churches, whole churches have been weaponized to say, the mission is no longer about reaching all kinds, every kind of people for Jesus. It's let's just get the people that will make our beast amazing. Guys, I'm telling you, he's subtle and he's powerful and he's amazing. Worship is the goal. Their aim of these beasts, number one and number two, is to capture our loyalty, capture our hearts. And we think of like Satan, dragon, and the beast, and it seems like overwhelming. We should be able to see this. Remember, this is a vision. This is he's an apocalypse. He's pulling back the curtain to show us the true character of governmental power and religious power. It doesn't feel like this. Because, see, we sometimes think... um, you guys remember the movie Taken with Liam Neeson? Remember that, you get his, remember that speech in there? Yeah, remember the phone call? Yeah. Uh, I have a, 
a particular set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And it's easy to see the beast when they are that obvious. These beasts are not that obvious. They're powerful, and they're beautiful, and seductive. They sound so good. They feel so right. And what John is doing here, what Jesus is doing, and John's writing down, is exposing the true nature of, of governmental power that imagines itself as an empire and ultimate and religious power that will tell us all kinds of good, beautiful things and even try to get us to serve the beasts of this world. It's not easy to see, which means today I'm going to give you a couple quick things to write down. We need to learn to love God with our minds, not just our heart and our soul. Which means to develop what the Bible calls good judgment and discernment. I'll take you through some, some things here. Number one, keep in mind with the stuff you see in the world that's out there, we need to recognize that even great stuff can go south. Even stuff that started great. Even churches that started great, religious organizations, countries that started great can go south. Which means number two, Exercising good judgment, loving God with our mind, means we need to have a healthy suspicion of government and politics. No matter how they started, just study history. Every government that, is, that has achieved empire kind of status tends towards blasphemy and beastliness. Every single one of them. And we can start to think that the power... Uh, I've even heard pastors and leaders in my lifetime a couple of times say things like this, that America is the last great hope for the world. You know what that is? That's the beast. America is not the last great hope for the world. Jesus is. It's not a beast, it's the lamb. And I know, I'm, look, guys, it feels like I'm bagging on America today. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you, let's be good citizens of our country. But if we can't recognize the dangerous parts of our country, be salt and light out there to go, wait, there's some stuff out there we gotta be paying attention to. And look, some... <laughs> Some of you hearing this today going, because I know some of you. I've seen your social media posts. I see who you are. You're going, that's right. Suspicion of government. Let's rise up. Let's disobey him. Do whatever we want out there and rebel and rise up. No, the Bible also tells us in Romans 13 to respect authority and respect government authority. They've been established by God. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, it says, those who ignore the law, God ignores your prayers. Not just break the law, ignore the law. I don't want to do that. God goes, okay, I won't listen to you right now. We got to pay attention to that, which means, number three, we pledge allegiance. We pledge allegiance lightly to our country. We don't give ultimate allegiance, unquestioning allegiance to our country. Um, we give respect and we give small a, lowercase a, allegiance to our country, not capital A allegiance. That's called worship. And since we're talking politics, and I've already stepped right in it and made a few of you mad, let's just go all the way. <sighs> Over here on the right, well, that's not your right, that's your left. Over here on the right, conservatives, on the right here, conservatives, and, and liberals over here, the progressives or the left over here. The right, I've heard a guy say this a while ago, a message I was listening to, he said, the right and, and, and conservatism is like your dad. It's like, hey, get to work. Do your chores, study like crazy, work hard. You got to work hard to achieve your stuff. When you work hard, you do the right things, good stuff will come to you, and then you get beat on the rear end or put in timeout or whatever happens for you. If you get a B when you could have got an A, that's the right over here. The left over here, 
like your mom. Oh, come here, baby. No, no, no. That's, and some of you are going, you don't know my mom. <laughs> I'll just hold you. You want some more? I'll give you some more. And she's standing over here, and I'm going to take care of things over here. Again, that's an oversimplification, but that's kind of how the right and the left exist, at least in our world today. Can I tell you today, the right and conservatism is beautiful and right to a point, and then they become the beast. And the left is beautiful and amazing and powerful and good up to a point, and then they become the beast. So we pledge allegiance lightly. Number four, we need to be cautious about the miraculous. It says these beasts have powerful, amazing stuff to mimic things like the resurrection, to do real supernatural things. You could look at them and go, well, they do the same miracles Jesus did. In fact, even like the resurrection, hello? They're going to be able to do stuff like that? He says, be cautious about the miraculous. Not skeptical, be cautious. In Matthew, I want you to go find this verse in your Bible. Go back to Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, find that one. On the way back there, I'm going to read Matthew 24 for you. Jesus' words, he says this. For false messiahs, And false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible. See what's next there? God, not the evil world out there. Not the people who go to church on Christmas and Easter. People like you that show up every single week. Be careful. He says, see, I've warned you ahead of time. Be careful. There is real power out there. You can get seduced by that. Deuteronomy 13. I'll get there. I'm not, I'm not sure what page it is in the Bible's in the house. Just go to the table of contents immediately. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13 says this. Suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and then the predicted signs or miracles occur. So they're not fake. They got real power here. If they then say, come Let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before. Do not listen to them despite the dramatic, cool, amazing things they can do. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone, no matter how spectacular, beautiful, and amazing the signs and wonders stuff might be. And then what what this means is they're going to be really close. They're going to be so close to the way things seem like they're right and true which means we need to be like the counterfeit agents who work for the Treasury Department. When they study counterfeit stuff, you know, number five, here's the point here. You know the real so well that the fake is easy to see. You don't need to go study the fake stuff out there and all the evil cults and all the evil stuff out there and kind of diagnose and get into all the details of that. What you need to do is know the real so well that the fake is easy to see. And in case you missed it, know the real so well, the fake is easy to see. Which is what we mean here, when we talk about here that the Bible, Jesus is central and the Bible is final. You keep your focus on the word of God and the personal work of Jesus, then the fake stuff, no matter how good and beautiful it is, you're going to then smell right. Something's wrong about that. Know the real so well, the fake is easy to see.
And now, here we go. The mark of the beast. Dun, 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 dun. Chapter 13, Revelation 13, verse 16. These beasts, this beast, the second beast out of the earth, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. I have a line from that line right there and down to chapter 14, just a little line there from chapter 14, verse 1, because it also tells us somebody else is putting a mark on our foreheads. Just be important for later. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name, which John has gone, ah. Wisdom is needed here. And wisdom is more than just intelligence. Wisdom is common sense. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's the number of... That little word right there is important. Mark that. A man. His number is 666. If you don't get it, you'll be shunned, marginalized, oppressed, persecuted, and mocked. If you don't get marked by this mark, life is going to be very difficult for you. Maybe even impossible. But if you do get it, (laughs) chapter 14, look at verse 9. Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand. Those are like synonymous. Worship the beast, it's like the mark, forehead, hand. Must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they'll be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. So that's like, it's going to go badly for you if you get that mark. And so some quick discussion on this. We're not going to cover all this today. Uh, and some of you are much better at this than I am. You've studied Revelation like crazy. So I'm putting this, some thoughts out here for you today to consider. Uh, the, the tricky part about this is you'll read 10 different books on the mark of the beast or six, 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 and times. 10 different men and or women say very different things about it. What I'm trying to do is go, okay, let's, what, what's the core of this thing all about here? There's other different ways it might manifest. What's the core of it all about? Um, there, there's a thing called gematria, numerology. That where, what that means is like calculate the number of his name is the idea of every letter, uh, the name has a numerical value, and so you add all those numbers up, it would add up to 666, 666. People tried this with Nero, and it didn't work. Actually, you'll see in your Bible, there's a footnote there that some Bibles say the number was 616. You know why? Because that's what Nero's name added up to. They did some calculations and stuff like that. Some people that were making copies and stuff like that. We don't know for sure about that, but the number stand for letters. You know, for a while, and I've, I went to church, and they tried to calculate this all out, tried to say it was John F. Kennedy. There was even thoughts about, wait, wait for it, you conservatives, just breathe for a second. Ronald, six. Wilson, six. Reagan, six. Six, six, six. And you know when Ronald Reagan moved to Bel Air, guess what his address was? Six. Six, six, Bel Air Drive. They got it changed. <laughs> Guys, today, I, I want to tell you today, my understanding of this is that the 666 is, and write this down, number one, not a code to be cracked. That if you can get down to the numerology of it all and figure it out, you're going to be able to figure out the name. 
And number two, it's not to identify, but to characterize the beast. Super important. Not to identify the beast, but to characterize him. That's why I wrote down there, it's, it's not a number of, it's not the man, the particular person, it's a number of man, or the idea of mankind. Mankind's number. And again, I studied this and some of the calculations of the meanings of numbers and all that, uh, and, and it's kind of complicated, so you need to kind of pay attention to me right now. You might want to write, don't, don't write this down, just let, let me talk to you for a second. Six is one less than seven. You're welcome. <laughs> what he's telling us here is this number is, it's not 333 or 55. It's one less. It's so close. And yet misses completely. It's the idea too, and it's not just six is the number, but a triad of incomplete, like the trinity of incompleteness. It's the idea, uh, G.K. Beale, one of the books that's referenced for you in the little website we put together for this series, wrote, wrote it this way. He said, it's, this beast is completely, this mark is, it's, it represents that which is completely incomplete. Completely incomplete. And if you want to think of a number that might symbolize governmental power out from under the authority of God and drag and manipulated religious power, you know what the number would be? Six, six. Six, it symbolizes that from it's always, always, always falling short. It's so close and yet misses by 10 billion miles the number of perfection because the number seven in the Bible is God's number always, is always a number that is symbolic and, and synonymous with completion or perfection. Some of the ways I grew up going to church and hearing this talked about and studied, some of it came out of people studied the Bible. Some of it honestly came out of books, like fiction books, trying to imagine what it might be like at the end of, of days. Was it imagine this? It says you can't buy or sell without it. It was almost like, like an ID card. An ID card that would be tattooed, implanted, something like that. that unless you have that, you can't participate in your banking system. You can't participate uh, buying and selling things at a store, that kind of thing. I don't believe it's a conspiracy thing like that. I don't think it's the kind of thing you can breathe here a little bit. It's not accidentally taken. So, so right, number three, number four, right together. It's not a conspiracy or accidentally taken. And number four, it's, I don't believe it's a physical mark. Um, remember what, what's going on here, too. This is uh, apocalyptic literature, not a news report. It's symbolic of something. It's trying to tell us something about the nature of this. And, and it's this idea, you guys, it's not a tattoo. It's not a little barcode they're going to put here. Remember Thief in the Night? Those of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s and saw that, the barcode. Or now is it like, is it the, it's the vaccine. They implanted something in me and I didn't know it. I got the mark of the beast and now I'm going to hell forever because I took the mark of the beast. It's not an implant. It's not a chip. I don't believe it's even a physical mark. Remember, it's trying to show us something about the nature of how the systems of this world are trying to mark us, that we belong to this world. Um, I, I don't believe it's an actual mark because in chapter 3, verse 12, in chapter 7, verse 3, 
in chapter 14, verse 1, and in chapter 22, verse 3 and 4. You know what it says about God's people? You know what God's people have? The mark of the Lamb. I don't believe that means that we're going to walk around, you know, in this world today or in the world to come, you know, in the end of days kind of stuff with a J-E-S-U-S on here. I think he's trying to tell us that it's symbolic. It's, it's apocalyptic kind of literature. And when you understand apocalyptic literature, you know that most of it is not intended to be literal, like a literal, like that's what's happening scientifically. He's trying to show us something of the nature of how this world is trying to mark us. And so you're going, well, what's the deal with the forehead and the hand then? You think of the forehead and hand, that's fairly specific. Back in those days, how they would have understood that? See, we talk about today that, God, that God's in our hearts. Back then, that was like, God's in your heart. What are we talking about? I guess we studied things. You know what it was all about? Your mind. That you, in fact, the Bible's going to tell us, don't conform to this world, but let God transform you by changing the way you think. So the forehead is symbolic of the mind. It's the internal heart and soul commitment that this world is trying to change and, and complete get you jacked about how you think, how your heart and soul convictions are all about, about God and Jesus and morality, all that. And then it's lived out in your hands, in your actions. The hand symbolizes your, your, the outworking of that commitment in my, in my behavior and my actions. And I want to tell you today, you will be marked by someone. Someone's going to mark you, the beasts or the lamb. Some of you are marked like that. And what, what, what does this mark mean? Well, it's worldliness. It's Romans, tw- uh, Romans chapter 1 where it says, hey, the world's all about worshiping and serving the things that God created instead of the creator himself. That's the mark of the beast. Roman, uh, 1 John 2, 15 to 18. There's all kinds of verses in the Bible about this. It says, hey, brothers and sisters, don't love the world. Don't love the world. Appreciate the world, like the world, don't love it. If you, worship, if you make the world, the, the government systems, religious systems, money systems, make those things ultimate, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the father of the world. Anybody who loves this world will, will pass away and be gone. That's what it means to be marked by the beast, that your heart and mind and soul have been marked by loving the world and it's lived out in your everyday actions. I also don't believe, number five, that this is, this is not end of the world kind of stuff. Again, because of we, we've been raised, some of us, our theology has been formed by Left Behind and Thief in the Night kinds of movies and books and not by the scriptures. We've let those things form up how we interpret the scriptures. And here's the danger with that. The danger with that is that if all you can see this is this is someday out there, some evil empire that's going to come along and secretly implant tattoos or chips in us through vaccines or through credit card codes or shoot, buying six packs of toilet paper during the COVID crisis because they're all in packs of six, six, six. Oh, oh, what? There's crazy theories about there, guys. Trust me. And if all you can worry about is I didn't get the physical actual mark and that's someday out there, you don't realize some of you some of you got the mark on you right now. You're already marked by the beast. You don't even know it because you're looking way out there somewhere for some end of the world kind of stuff. It's already on your mind, the way you think, the way you operate. It's already on your hands and your actions. Some of you got it on your feet. Some of you got it on your ears. Some of you got it on your eyes. 
Some of you have it on their unmentionable body parts. We're going to talk about it here at church today because there's kids in the house. You know where some of you have the Mark of the Beast tattooed? Right there. And some of you are going, the, the, the big thing is, thanks a lot, Steve, for coming to church on Halloween weekend. Yeah. The question is, um, oh, am I marked right now? You might be. You know what you do to get the mark off of you? Is you it's confession and repentance. See, you're going to get marked by stuff by the world. You know how you get it off of you? Because, see, the longer you let that mark stay on, you know what happens? It starts to become permanent, and you can't shake it. Regular confession, repentance gets the mark, gets the crap and stuff off of you. So that's why over and over the Bible says, confess your sins to each other. So I join a small group, confess your sins to God, confess your sins to each other to get this stuff off of me. And so as we got to wrap this up, because I'm way late on time. So I tell the kids, sorry, kids classes and stuff today. Um, here's how we're going to do battle with this, how we get the mark off of us and keep it off of us. In the middle of this discussion of the beast and the mark of the beast, look at chapter 13, look at the end of verse 10. It'll be up here on the screen as well. It says, this means, this means that God's people must go out there and speculate and calculate and figure out all that stuff. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution and patiently and remain faithful. Chapter 14, verse 12, after the big discussion on the beast and the consequences of this stuff, of the mark of the beast, Verse 12, this means, John goes, in case you miss it the first time, that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. This is what this is all about. Write these words down here, and then we're going to give you a couple little phrases too. Remain and maintain. Remain and maintain. In John chapter 15, Jesus I think he says it like in six different verses. He says over again, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. And over and over again, he says, walk with me, walk with me. You're a disciple. This means you just walk and follow after me, which what this means is, a write this down, a serious commitment to small steps obedience. I want the big, huge, yeah, the Red Bull. I'm going to go charge hell with a water pistol. And you guys have tried to work out like that. We haven't worked out. I'm going to all fire up to work. You heard somebody's speech or some fitness trainer tell you, you got to work out, you got to go, and you go to the gym and do it, and you're, <gasps> I can't do this. You know why? Because we put far too much emphasis in the West on trying to be a Christian and way too little on just training yourself for it. Showing up at church, being in a small group, reading your Bible, praying, confession, fasting, serving, all those kind of things. Big commitment to small steps, obedience. The Bible calls that holiness. And it's the idea of the little prophetess, Dory, in Finding Nemo. You just keep going. It's the idea of this. We talk about baptism here. No matter what, endurance and perseverance. Then no matter if my life goes good or goes bad, I have a no matter what no matter how much the world tries to squeeze me out, tries to marginalize me and tell me, unless you get this, your life's going to be terrible for you. I don't care how terrible life is going for me. I am staying with Jesus. It's endurance and perseverance. And it's 10,000 little steps in the right direction over a long period of time for your whole life. That's all it is. That's how you go to war against these beasts. Band's coming up. We're going um, <laughs> to... 
You might have some more questions because there are always some things I didn't cover there on the Mark of the Beast and the Antichrist. We only had so much time here. So if you have questions about any of that, some things I should be aware of, maybe fill in later on, please put that down on the connection card. We're going to invite you to come now to tables of communion. They're in the four corners of the room. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus given on the cross for us. And part of us keeping Jesus central here is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And the most important thing he did was dying on that cross in our place for our sin. We're also going to invite you to come uh, to, to sing together. And maybe you've got some stuff today where you just got some stuff you're dealing with, whether it's battles you're dealing with something right now, struggles in your marriage, struggles in your family, health, whatever it is. Our prayer team is right back there in the back corner of the room. The lights will go down. Just walk, make your way back there. Introduce yourself to them and let them pray for you about whatever's going on. And so Jesus, today as we sing, God, if it could be that obvious, we want the J-E-S-U-S, not just tattooed artificially on the surface, but deeply implanted, tattooed on our hearts and souls and lived out in our actions in a thousand, ten thousand, ten million different ways. Help us with that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.